Hi, my name is John Light, and I've spent over 20 years working throughout all corners of the recruiting world. Our podcast, Drowning in the Tech Talent Pool, is a resource to help you stay afloat and get ahead of your competition. Hi, and welcome to the next episode of Drowning in the Tech Talent Pool. I'm John Light, your host, president of Sabretooth Tech Recruiting, and with me today, I have Gianna Driver. Gianna, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, John. I'm excited to be here and looking forward to our chat. One of the reasons I wanted to talk with you is you are neck deep, and I think what is one of the most critical areas of tech going forward, it has been for a while, but going forward, and that's in security. Granted, you're a CHRO, but you kind of step back and so I'm not a CTO or a CIO or going in and doing coding and all this other fun stuff. But at the end of the day, you're right in the mix with some very critical things that are evolving in our marketplace, and especially with, with AI coming out and people needing to understand how critical their data is and data security and, and, and cleanliness, I guess I could put it that way. And so why don't we take a minute real quick, John, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got to your current company, Exabeam, and your role as CHRO. And maybe we can spend some time talking about the intersection of tech talent and your career path and experience as well. Yes, I love it. So I joined Exabeam two years ago. And, you know, what really struck me about, about our company is the people. Now, I, I love cybersecurity. I love what we do in the world. When I'm talking to my mom, I like to say, we're in the business of helping the world be a safer place safer mm-hmm. for organizations, for people, for our data. So lofty goal and mission that that still resonates today. But what got me really excited about Exabeam is our people. And that's what continues mm-hmm. to get me super, super excited because we have a global organization of folks who carry the mission close to their heart, but they also are passionate full people, right? Like it's not like we're we're these robots that come to work and get our work stuff done and put our work face on. And then we've got a whole separate existence outside of work. We actually mm-hmm. spend a lot of time and energy on authenticity and being who you are at all moments, not just when you're outside of work or, you know, not just your work persona. So I, I love being here. I love our people so much. A lot of people don't, right? They don't, they, they look at their work and they're like, oh, I got to work. The fact is, mm-hmm. if if that's your disposition, work is truly a toil rather than something that you can derive some satisfaction and, and pleasure from, right? And, mm-hmm. and I, at Sabretooth, I focus on talent acquisition, but I kind of look, I have this loop that plays in my head when I talk to a CHRO or a CPO. You know, you have talent acquisition and just imagine you've got this little line going around to another bubble where it's talent management, which goes to another bubble, then it goes to talent retention, then it comes back to talent acquisition. And in my experience, if you can get those working well, the management and the retention, the the acquisition comes a lot easier. And on the flip side, if you get the acquisition going really well, people want to be there, retention's a lot easier because when people want to be are attracted to it, they want to be there, it follows that they want to stay. If you're staying on mission, if you're real. Yeah, exactly. No, I I hundred percent concur. And I think that's where, you know, if you think about it, you mentioned that a lot of folks are not super excited and happy about where, right. where they work. They're, they don't wake up with, you know, fire in their belly to go conquer the day. And by the way, I don't do that every day, right? Like coffee does help. <laughs> <laughs> we already talked about coffee, Mr. Four shots of espresso to get going this morning. Yes. But I do think there's something to be said about loving yourself enough to say, I deserve 
to be at a workplace where I am excited about what I get to do. And I'm excited about the folks I get to do it with. You pulled the pop top on a can of worms that I do on occasion. I think this kind of leads to candidates understanding and an employee's understanding their value, Mm -hmm. which there's two sides of the equation. The employer should understand the the employee's value as well. and, And many don't. Let me just be frank, in my opinion. But as a candidate, it's critical to understand, I think, how you're going to impact a company and the role you're looking at. Yes. It's critical that the company understands that, too. One of my pet peeves, I have a few, <laughs> when it comes to talent acquisition, are companies that put job descriptions out that have requirements and responsibilities and qualifications, but they don't tell a person their value impact to the company's story or the organization's story. So one of the things, pro tip for anybody out there who's listening, I like to see companies do, and I encourage it, and there's a flip side to this coin as well, what are the top three objectives or goals for a new hire to achieve in the first 12 months? And let's quantify them. Mm -hmm. Let's put a number to them. Let's make them measurable and real and reachable so that Mm -hmm. a person on the outside looking in can say, I see how I'm adding value to this organization. Now, the flip side of that, okay, if I'm a candidate, how do I demonstrate that I have added value to an organization? Mm -hmm. So I encourage candidates all the time on the resume, add in your stars, your situation, task, action, result with those quantifiable results or projected results that demonstrate these sorts of things. And I'm just curious, you know, when you look at talent acquisition and you look at cybersecurity, what do you quantify and what do you look for when you look at somebody? Because let's be honest, cybersecurity demand for talent is only increasing. It's Mm got to come from somewhere and it ain't always going to come from these traditional critical career paths that are Mm -hmm. just all that. You know, that's like that's like saying, okay, you played basketball, but you so you can't play football. But yeah. the NFL has a lot of people, many some are who are in the Hall of Fame nowadays, right, in like the tight end position. A lot of those guys played basketball. Why? They tend to be tall. They tend to be long. They need good hand-eye coordination. They'd be agile and all these other things. And it translates. So what do you look for in that respect? I love this question. Let me, let me take it from the top and say, high level, it's going to like the specific job requirements are obviously going to vary by position, right? So what we're looking for in an engineer is going to be different than, you know, in a finance position versus in a marketing position, right? Et cetera. But I'll tell you, so outside of the functional expertise, right? I'm going to take for granted that candidates who apply to us and who are working their way through the interview process, I'm going to take for granted for a moment that they are functionally competent and they can do their job. What I look for when I'm talking to folks is their potential. I care less about all of their specific experiences. And I actually think that can pigeonhole us as employers and hiring managers when we get really dogmatic about, I need to have someone who has had this specific experience or they've done all the things that, you know, that we want them to do in the role. I actually think that works in a, in a counterproductive way because in my experience, what I, what I observe is candidates join the organization, they become, you know, employees and they mm-hmm. think they know everything because they've done it at least once, if not no. twice or three times. 
before. And so what I get excited about is I look for potential. So what that means is let's be clear about the competencies and the skills that then give me and the, the hiring team confidence that this person knows how to think outside of the box and creatively. They know how to work under pressure and how to make game time decisions. And they also mm -hmm. know how to pivot. They're, they're unafraid of, you know, making mistakes. These are the sorts of skills and competencies that I look for. So I ask a lot of scenario based questions, right? Like in interviews because that, I think, starts to get to the heart of what someone can actually do at your company. It's not about, oh, yeah, I've done you know this thing or I've built this five times over at five different companies. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that for a second. And let me share. I've read a lot of studies over the years, and I tend to look at the numbers and then dig for details if I want them. There's one in particular that's always stuck with me. And this one group, I think their website is leadershipiq.com. But they track 20,000 new hires over a three-year period. And mm -hmm. for all the hires that failed, 82% of the time, it was soft skills, not hard skills. It wasn't, because hard skills are teachable. Hard skills are coachable if you're coachable, if you're teachable. But it yep. was, yep. and it's funny, because I just posted a thing on LinkedIn about this from Simon Sinek's Optimism Group. Yes. I got to give the hat tip. I can't yep. say I came up with this. Right, so you hear leadership all the time, and how do you... I don't know how you quantify leadership in, in a real sense. I mean, I think it's a knowable but unknowable thing. It's either there or it's not. It may fit in this context, but not another. But he yeah. came up with one. He interviewed a former NBA player, ex-Duke player, Shane Battier, this guy's name. And Shane was never more, much more than a role player in the NBA. But everywhere he went, the teams were successful. And they called it teammateship. Teammateship. Teammates. Whatever it is. It's a big, like amalgamation of words that are that are put together but the idea is just being a good teammate and that's a soft skill that's not a hard skill how do you measure that how do you look at someone's resume and determine that you almost have to get them in an interview situation and dive into mm -hmm. that yeah. aspect the human aspect because i don't know i know ai is not there today I don't know when it will ever be there. It'll be somewhere in the future state mm -hmm. where it can start to predict, oh, this person will be a good fit or not a good fit. Here's why and why not. But today, that's an intuitive thing that you have to suss out. I don't think there's a silver bullet that says, this is how you assess and figure out if someone has, I'm going to use the word human skills to, mm. to succeed and thrive mm -hmm. and do well. The reason I'm intentional about not saying soft skills is because I think Simon Sinek talks about this. There's actually nothing soft or easy about soft skills. These are human skills. And so to, to your point, in an interview setting, I think we can start to get to the heart of these human skills because we ask scenario and role-based types of questions. Mm -hmm. Now, I think at the onset of the, of the interview process, right, we want to check to make sure someone does have the functional expertise needed to, to do their role. Like, you know, that that if you're if you're an engineer, the ability to code and, you know, write scripts and things like that is is important. But I think that's where we want to look for candidates who have not perhaps had this title before or done this exact role before. Mm -hmm. But they've got enough other, you know, accomplishments in their in their suite of experience that give us at least a, a heads up that they they may be our person. And then I think I think you're exactly right during the interview process. I think that's where having a structured interview process where everyone's mm -hmm. sort of looking at different parts of the of this 
candidate so that we get that mm-hmm. full person perspective is important. We actually do this this process of sitting down with the, the interview team before the you know the actual search process begins and right. being clear about okay this individual is assessing culture. This individual is assessing potential. So we actually try to be really thoughtful and intentional about, you know, what each person is asking, because that also avoids a situation where you've got a candidate going through, talks to four different people and is asked the same question four different times <laughs> in four different ways. Yeah, that's not annoying at all if you're a candidate, right? That's like going into an ATS and, oh, you've uploaded your resume. Now, would you please fill in a, these fields for every job you had in the past three, third, three decades or whatever? Oh, you know, that yes, same study right. that, yeah. that, I, that, I, that I referenced yeah. earlier, that same study, mm-hmm. 20,000 people, yeah. three years. Only 19% were considered successful hires. Why is that relevant? Because 82% of the time it didn't work out. It was soft or human skills. And I think it's one of the harder things, things to judge. I mean, you almost, you know, the situational, the behavioral questions and all this, it's really important. But one of the things I've found that helps, and I encourage candidates to do this and interviewers, number one, be yourself. I mean, totally don't put any facades Mm -hmm. up. You know, and be honest mm-hmm. and clear about things. But number two, look for inconsistencies. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the, one of the practices, especially when we do executive level searches, is we start at the back bottom of a resume and work our way up. And we want to know the reasons for leaving every job. And we're looking for inconsistencies. What shifted mm-hmm. in your priorities? What shifted in the context? You know, because mm-hmm. those inconsistencies tell us a lot about that person. And how they function. Mm-hmm. And if somebody's blowing a lot of smoke or hot air, you're going to find most of the time, even when a person's interviewed so much, they're practically a professional. You know, mm-hmm. you're still going to find that stuff to the nuanced mm-hmm. ear. But mm-hmm. shifting gears for a second, we're entering this time period, I think, where there's a reskilling. I don't think upskilling is the right term. There's a reskilling taking place in the market where people are having, they're under threat of displacement or replacement by AI and other tools. And, okay, what do I do? What's next? And maybe that's not, again, upskilling per se, but it's reinventing themselves, reskilling to become something else. Everybody does it over the course of, of your career. I started off in accounting. That's where my undergraduate degree is. That's where I lost all my hair. And I don't wear a green eye shade and sleeve garters. Thank goodness. But <laughs> I found out that, you know, sometimes being an accountant with a, a, a smidgen of personality is not the most welcome thing, especially when you speak up and you're young and, you know, naive and ignorant mm-hmm. of, of everything. Mm-hmm. So I ended up in the headhunting business and I ended up learning how to judge people and experience and, and, and making sure things fits, make sense. But switching gears for a moment, in terms of reinventing yourself, when you, when you look at candidates, maybe they've had nothing to do with cybersecurity. Maybe they've never been, they never coded, they never developed. Yep. Are there other skills that if a person's reinventing themselves that would be attractive in the cybersecurity space that would make mm-hmm. them valuable to a company like Exabeam? Yes. So short, short answer is yes, but let me mm-hmm. expand on that for a second. If you think about cybersecurity, we're in the business of thinking differently, right? Like we want to think outside of the box. We want to say, okay, what are all of the ways that 
hackers and bad actors are going to try to infiltrate this, this company, this system, this government. And so we can't come up with all of our various solutions if we don't think outside of the box. And right. so for us, we are very, very thoughtful about making sure we acquire talent that has a diversity of life experiences and perspectives. Because to your point, if we have folks who are all from the same mold, they're all from cybersecurity or you know whatnot, that's not going to give us that diversity of perspective and just different ways of thinking that we need. And I would add to that, there's, there's also a big initiative for us to seek out neurodiverse talent. So folks hmm. who are wired differently, they process differently, they think differently. And that's been very, very successful because we're able to have folks on our teams that look at the same problem that everyone else is looking at, but they see something different and they see a solution that, frankly, none of the rest of us saw. So yeah. to your point, having folks who have experiences outside of cybersecurity is really, really important. One of the things that I look for when, I, when I'm speaking to candidates and I'm going through resumes, I agree with you around understanding, you know, the, the switches and the, and the jumps. Mm -hmm. I look for authenticity in their answers because I don't mind that someone has, has been an accountant and now they're in, you know, a different industry. That's okay. I want to understand why. I want yeah. to understand, is this someone who is curious? Is this someone who is willing to, to change and to pivot and to grow and to, to try new things? I want to also encourage folks who might be listening, who might think, oh my goodness, like I've, you know, jumped here and I've done this or I've done this different, you know, industry or whatever. That's okay. I think a thoughtful interview process allows them to express themselves and, and the why. I think we're in a period where we've got maybe three to five years where what you just laid out before, before people yeah. start to become so specialized. And, you know, I've seen this in other industries mm -hmm. where, well, if so-and-so I need to hire a whatever, if they don't have industry experience, I'm not interested. And what's so special about your industry? Well, well, it's, it's tech or it's refining or it's manufacturing or it's blah, 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 blah. Okay. Yeah. Let's yeah. step back for a second. You know, these a lot of people come through school and they talk about transferable skills. And we look at our life and do we really see that honored? There's what's the old oh, oh man, the old saying when your neighbor loses a, their job, it's a it's a recession. When you lose yours, it's a depression. And it's a matter of perspective. Yeah. You know, that you yeah. look at it and and it could be either or <laughs> it could just be a bad day. I don't know. Yeah. But we kind of look at yeah. okay, well, this person wants to apply for a job here. And they've got this diverse skill set. It's in some different area. We don't want them. There's going to be someone who differentiates themselves in the industry sector says, well, we do want them. And it, I think if handled well, it's, it could be a competitive advantage because competitive advantages in my mind are going to be so limited that any incremental advantage you can get as an organization mm -hmm. is massive over time. But it's got to be over time. Mm -hmm. You know, I tell my kids, constantly they're probably sick of it effort plus attitude over time will get you with the results you're looking for but if any one of those three mm -hmm. things isn't what it ought to be then you're not going to get the results you're looking for so if you want to change something in your life you can change 
how much and what kind of effort you put into it, you can change your attitude about it and you can realize that it's going to take time. Maybe it takes more Mm -hmm. time. Maybe it takes less, but you have Mm -hmm. to have all three of those. I think it would behoove companies in general to maybe commit a percentage, just talking off the cuff here, of their recruiting efforts, their talent acquisition efforts on, let's just say, more diverse career paths. Mm-hmm. I agree. Because, Non-traditional, yeah, career paths. Agreed. I mean, there's some just stellar people I've met over the years who didn't start off where they ended up. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, mm-hmm. on the flip side, I've seen people who they started one thing and man, they stuck with it for decades and decades and decades. And I don't think they're boring at all. I think they're probably bona fide experts in their, mm-hmm. in their field. Well, I, think but- there's, I think there's space for someone to start in something and then pivot and shift. And I, I agree that organizations would benefit from having flexible career paths, right? So that someone may start here, but then sure, they, yeah. can, they can move laterally, they can move in different directions. I would add to that and say, I also think it's important for employees to know thyself to understand, here's what gives me joy and energy. This is when I feel the most alive, when I get to do these different things. And maybe conversely, these are the things that I really don't enjoy doing. These are the things that I'm less good at. And I would say to those employees, have the courage to build your own career path and journey. This This is your life. It's your career. And it's okay to say, this is what I want to do and to start working in that direction. Ideally at, at the company where you where you are, mm-hmm. but I also think it's okay if someone starts to realize maybe the experiences that I want and the career that I want, maybe that isn't at my current organization. That's okay too. That's the wonderful thing about this journey called life. It's <laughs> okay know, always, to, to shift. I've always taken a disposition that when I train people in the past that I want to train them so well that if they decide they want to leave. Mm-hmm they have this awesome skill set to go leave with and go apply somewhere else. And it seems a little counterintuitive. Would you want to keep that close to you? Well, yeah, I would. But it's, you know, I relate it it in my mind, not to sound too hokey here, but I relate it in my mind to the best marriage advice, best relationship advice I've ever heard. And it was Mm -hmm. really simple. And and, and the expression's like this. If you have a great marriage, keep working on it. Mm -hmm. If you don't, work on yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. not to separate a person out of a relationship, but rather the only thing I can control is what I do with me. How do I improve me? Do I do I become a better conversationalist? Do I become less grumpy when I come home from work or I've been stuck mm-hmm. with kids or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. make yourself a better person. And that mm-hmm. is something I wish, you know, I, I talk to people on a regular basis, and I'm sure you do too, Gianna, where I've applied yeah. for 300 jobs and all I've gotten rejection letters, you know, and a lot of times it's not even that. It's just that you get ghosted and I don't yeah. know what's worth worse, ghost me or send me a rejection letter and don't tell me why. Yeah. And don't give me some canned excuse. Well, your resume is just lacking X. I want to know why, especially if I was an interview process, because I've got to have a chance to grow, but I would just encourage candidates everywhere when every time you get into that groove where you're just getting hammered by this stuff, mm-hmm. focus on you. Don't focus on the company. Don't focus on how onerous their ATS process is. Don't focus mm-hmm. on the pain in the neck that it is to apply to all these jobs and look at this and have this, this regimen in your life where that's all you're doing. Instead, what can I do to make myself better? 
more mm-hmm. more attractive as an employee or a candidate. Yeah, but just more valuable. And that may or may not be mm-hmm. getting, you know, JavaScript for dummies. It may yes. or may not be right. getting, you know, whatever it is, hard skill. It may be, maybe I need to join mm-hmm. Toastmasters. Mm-hmm. You know, how else can I improve things? And I wish we could all take that to heart, but it's hard. And and that's the thing, I, I, a message I wish more employers would recognize for these candidates. They're human beings and they're individuals. And it's hard. Mm-hmm. You know, part yeah. of our job in Talent Act should be how do I, what's the most efficient, effective, and let's just say hum, human way to get to the right result for all parties involved? Because one of the things I've done for years, if I can't help a candidate, I'm not having a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about their resume. I want to talk about other areas they could delve into and where else they could expand their search. Mm-hmm. And I've, I can't tell you the number of people I've prepped for interviews that weren't my candidates. I'm not representing them. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I've prepped them because I know them. They've asked for help. And you know what? I'm going to pay it forward as best I can and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Because why not? What's it cost me? It cost me 30 minutes, but it may be something that is giving them the next three years of their career. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a win. Even if I don't get paid, that's a win, you know? I agree. I love that. So first of all, hats off to you for for spending the time and energy to do that with candidates. And I want to go back to something that you said that really really resonated. And that is for all the candidates out there who are applying to different jobs. And like you said, you know, getting rejection after rejection after rejection. I think it is an opportunity to focus on, wow, what can I change and improve and do differently, right? Mm -hmm. So rather than getting frustrated at, you know, the 151st rejection letter or whatever, starting to really do the hard, deep personal work. And it's hard stuff. I'm going to be honest, like, you know, taking that look in the mirror and saying, what can I do to continually learn and improve myself is hard. But in parallel to applying for jobs, maybe there's an opportunity to learn new skills. Maybe there's an opportunity to get better or to practice that stuff that you already Mm -hmm. know how to do and maybe have been doing, you know, for a long time. But I think that the key here is to continue working on yourself and to have the courage to to try new things. And maybe it's trying something new in a small way. So like you mentioned, Toastmasters. Yeah, I used to be a part of Toastmasters. Love no that kidding. organization. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Early on in my career. Uh, because, and, it, you know, I, I learned things then as well as, you know, met folks that I've kept in touch with all of these years. But aside from that, it gave me the confidence and courage to to speak up more and to you know work mm-hmm. on being more articulate and stuff like that. So the the bottom line is I I love what you were mentioning that if you've got a good marriage, continue working at it. And if it's not so great, well then you know ask yourself. ask yourself like what like <laughs> right. I think that parallel into the work environment is a similar one, right? Yeah. So if if things are going great at work, fabulous. Rock on and continue doing what you're doing and continue working at it. And if things are not so great, well then ask okay, well, what's my contribution to that? And what can I do to make things better? Yeah, because the only thing you can control is you. Exactly. You know, Knowing I don't, what you're able to control versus influence. Yeah. I, don't, I don't care if you're the CEO of an organization. You don't really have the level of control you think you have over your employees. And mm-hmm. you may not even be that popular. <laughs> you know, So hey, think twice about it. And instead, what you need is, is to al- align Get everybody aligned with the mission and and things mm-hmm. get a lot easier. I've noticed on LinkedIn, and they've been doing it for a while, there are all kinds of certifications and courses you can take that, it, for free 
than then pop up at the bottom of your profile. And I don't necessarily look at that when I look at a LinkedIn profile or a resume or whatever to go, aha, they spent the money to become this or this or that that's relevant to their career. I just like to say, are they doing some things to improve themselves, mm-hmm. to make themselves to more learn. valuable? Because, because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, every relationship in life over the course of a lifetime, so this could even apply to parent-child relationship, I think, is an exchange of perceived value. Employment, mm-hmm. we're giving you value. We're giving you new skills, perhaps. We're honing your skills, and you're getting a paycheck and benefits and all this. In return, you're rendering a value, that service, that work, that product, whatever, to your employer. You go out on a date for the first time, and you're all young and giggly. I got an almost 17-year-old, so I can talk about this. And You get in there, you have dinner, and you know, you're looking at her just all dreamy, and she's looking at you just like, man, what a handsome guy. And he's funny. You know, and as I told my kids, it's funny looking, but they have this conversation at the end of the day, the date, they each have different standards for the value they've received. And that value may be, they, he made me laugh, or it may be, wow, I just get to hang out in her presence or whatever it might be. Right. And that, if yeah. that value exchange is there and they both are agreeable with it, what they perceive to be valuable, they go on to a second date. And if not, right. they go on about their lives. Yeah. Same true with everything we do. And the more yeah. value you put into the relationship, I think the more opportunity there is to have uh, something of value rendered to you, mm-hmm. but it's not yeah. something you can look for. That's the trick about it. If you go around and only give to get, you're right. going to get hosed. But if you right. give and give with the mm-hmm. idea of building up other mm-hmm. people, you're going to get mm-hmm. a lot back. And, and it may not be from that person or persons. It may come other ways, but it's pretty amazing mm-hmm. how how life works when you when you add value to people. And I think it's also wonderful when organizations have cultures and environments where it's encouraged to have those conversations and to talk about here is that value exchange. Maybe we use different words, but we're really right. clear around here are ways that we invest in you and your your growth and your learning. Here's also what we expect from our employees. This is what success looks like. This is what exceeding expectations looks like. So I think having work cultures and environments where we have spaces where leaders and direct reports can openly and freely have these conversations is magical. And it allows employees to also dream and to say, what I'd like to do is X, Y, and Z. The experiences that I'd like to have, what I'd like to learn about is, you know, one, two, and three. And also for the employer to say, we really, we're, we're working on developing a new product that can do, you know, one, two, three, and four. We're seeing in the competitive, you know, landscape. Mm-hmm. But I think when we're able to foster environments where we can have those conversations, that's where innovation and productivity start to shoot through the roof. Right. Well, conversations wherein you're not worried about it being backfiring on you. Yeah. A red, red ink on your test paper. Totally. You know? And that's part of the definition of psychological safety, right? It's being in an environment where you are free to express yourself, to fail, to say what mm. you really think without fear of repercussion. We all want, and frankly, all deserve to be in environments that are psychologically safe. So long as nobody makes any comments about my hair or being 30 pounds away from being a, a mall Santa Claus during the holidays. Your um, hair is beautiful, John. <laughs> it's all on my face anymore. <laughs> I wasn't specific about its location. <laughs> well, let me since 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 we have some laughs going on, which is important. Work without laughter to me is is 
beyond mundane. It's it's ick. It's icky. But I agree. Let me ask personally. Yes. What what are you passionate about, Gianna? What what do you look at and and put yourself into? And it could be in a work, out of work, whatever it might be. But but I'm curious where where would you hang? You know, being <clears throat> having spent some time in a great and grand state of Texas, where would you hang that hat? <laughs> Yeehaw. I am from Texas and I love being from Texas. So two things come to mind. The first one is, you know, I'm passionate about my daughter. She turns 11 in January and this is just such a a fun, incredible age. She's not a teenager yet, so she doesn't think she knows everything, which is really coming. Give it a few months. I'm a little scared. A little scared. But the other thing I was going to say, so I'm Filipino American and I love spending time in the Philippines with my family and also doing volunteer work. So mm-hmm. I'm a part of an organization called Project Pearls, which is a is an organization committed to helping with hunger relief, education, mm-hmm. literacy, those types of programs. And actually later this week on Friday, I'm going to be over in the Philippines spending a week in, in an area on the outskirts of Manila, mm-hmm. working with a community of 70,000 individuals who live on a burning pile of trash. So they're scavengers and Dang. they've been forgotten essentially by a lot of, you know, a lot of NGOs and, and uh-huh. a lot of workers because it's a, it's a difficult environment. And I just, I, you know, being Filipino myself, it, it, it resonates and, and sits, you know, deep in my heart. And I get re- really passionate and excited about that. So I'm, I'm is looking there, forward to is that. There, if somebody wanted to check that out, I mean, that's, I can't imagine. I, and look, I used to be in the waste business. I worked for USA Waste and Waste in yeah. Management early in my career. And yeah. landfills take a lot of engineering. And before that, though, they were piles of just stuff. Yep. And yeah, there's a lot to scavenge. But when you said this burning pile of trash, I know combustion can happen deep in these things, and it's not a healthy environment. You're right. It's a challenging environment. It's a dangerous environment. Yep. But if somebody wanted to learn more about Project Pearl, what would you recommend? I would say check out Project Pearls. Um, you can Google it. I think it's projectpearls.org, and there could be a .ph for Philippines after. But if they Google Project Pearls, plural pearls, mm-hmm. and you could type in Philippines, should be one of the, the top results. And again, it's it's just such an amazing organization that does a lot of really important work. And I'm I'm excited to a get my hands dirty and help on the ground with some of those efforts, but then also b to work with the administrative teams to try to figure out from a, a business perspective what we can mm-hmm. do to really scale the efforts and the and the work being done. Um, it's going to be an intense week, but I think a, a really a really fulfilling one. And I'm just I'm grateful that I get to that I get to do these types of things. That's a great cause. That's a great cause. Gianna, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm going to make sure, and I'm glad we, we talked about Project Pearls because now we can amplify it a little bit, but I want to make sure to keep you in mind in your travels, have safe travels, good luck with it, and keep doing what you're doing and having an impact. I think it's a great thing, and thank you so much for sharing with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. You've been listening to Drowning in the Tech Talent Pool. This podcast is sponsored by Sabretooth. Sabretooth improves the quality of hire and speeds up the time to fill specialized machine learning, data engineering, data science, and developer roles, stretching tech recruiting budgets further by bringing the precision of retained search and the speed of contingent search to the market in one complete solution. Find out more at sbr2th.com and follow me, John Light, on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.